Welcome to Real Talk with Tina and Ann. I am Ann. And I am Tina. And this is Rational versus Irrational Fears and Thoughts, Part 2. I wanted to start a little bit different today than we normally do. I wanted to uh, put out there uh, something that I've heard, and a lot of people have heard this little phrase, um, fear is a state of mind. And I wanted to see what you thought about it, Tina. So I've really been thinking about that, and I both agree and disagree, speaking from experience. The reason I say disagree is because sometimes those fears feel so real, or they really are a legitimate fear. But Mm -hmm. where I agree, I, I see where that quote comes from, is I understand that fear is how we perceive a situation It's usually an unpleasant emotion or belief about someone or something that triggers our flight or fight response. So yes, fear is a mental state, but it also causes real physical, physiological consequences because of the stress. Now, like you said, there are fears that are real, that alert us that, you know, we do need to flee and that's healthy, but The irrational fears can be all-consuming. And that's what I think it's talking about here. I know with me that I can run a loop in my head and it just overtakes my feelings, which then affects my actions. I can become more withdrawn, which is what I normally do, or just run that loop over and over that will not let any other thoughts in. So I have to actually make myself think of something else. And sometimes, and I do this a lot, especially when I'm sleeping, I'll just run the word Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in my head, because as a Christian, that just helps me get rid of whatever it is that is consuming my thoughts, because it's normally not good. And as a swimmer, one of the things that I would do is I would just picture myself swimming in the pool. And I would just, I guess that's another OCD thing because I would be counting my strokes, but I would just, um, it would be the thing that would take my mind off of whatever negative, horrible thing was going through my head that just would not go away. So, yeah, it does sound like I, I do much of those same things. And I've learned that that is an OCD thinking loop. Didn't know there was a term for it, but there is. It's a branch of anxiety rooted for me most of the time in fear of some sort. And I, that, yeah, this, this one, <laughs> this one is very, very tough for me because I know that I do this a lot. And my, my counselors trying to get me to understand that it's okay to have these OCD thinking loops. We just have to try to break the cycle. But for me, just even saying break the cycle. In other words, she's trying to tell me do the opposite of what I want to do. Just sit with yeah. that thought or feeling. Yeah. To me, like, like gasp. I can't do that because what's the harm in like what you said when you talked about being a swimmer and you would just focus in your head about, you know, swimming and counting the strokes. To me, that seems like a healthy avenue to help yourself in that moment. Well, it's better than the alternative and the loop, the loop at that time is going to continue. So I 
just have to flip the switch and make it a different loop. Uh, so I, I don't know how else to handle it. Um, but our brain automatically goes a certain path once we start a thought. It just will run that path. And it actually takes effort to make our brain go a different direction because we actually have to carve a new neuro pathway. I've heard, and I forget the number, but we actually have to force a new thought so many times until it automatically goes a different way. Mm -hmm. I looked it up to verify what I was saying, and I got different numbers. One of the numbers was 17, but I, I really don't know. That's my number. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, that's my number. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what it said, that um, you have to do something or say something 17 times in order for it to automatically go a different way. But I'm, I'm you know, no expert on that. So, But I do know that you can carve a different path. If you do it over and over again, <clears throat> at first we have to really think hard and get ourselves to think differently, but then eventually it does get easier to think differently during a fear response or just if we are talking to ourselves irrationally. I was trying to think of a visual for this. And, you know, I used to have woods behind my house and I loved living in the woods, just doing all this stuff, you know, climbing trees. And I would just, you know, plow through all these certain areas, but there were certain areas that I would go and I, and I had created my own path. It was like a natural path that I took all the time. And so um, it wore down. I mean, and so you could tell the paths that I or my friends or whoever, whomever went through this path, um, and we wore it down. So it was just so easy. But if we ever went off course to try a different way to be adventurous and go off the path into the weeds or grass or whatever, high grass, um, we would have to create another path. At first, it was harder to go through. But then the more we went through, uh, we carved another path and it was a lot easier for us to get through. So that was the visual I kind of came up with. I like that. Plus, because I love nature and I feel so connected to being outdoors. And there is a comfort level in the familiar path. Though for me, a lot of the time, my love for adventure takes me on the road less traveled on. That's good. Now, there is something called an automatic thought, which is our brain has an automatic thought to something that happens. I talked last week about how something happened to me by a woman when I was younger. Actually, I've had more than one thing happen where, you know, it's like, you know, you touch the stove, you just quit touching the stove. You don't mm -hmm. want to touch it, the stove, right. because you're going to get hot. So you're going to get burnt. So um, I just created this automatic fear response every time I was around an older woman. If I was in a room with a woman, say it could have been even a nurse or something, and they come in and they close the door, I go went into this automatic uh, fight or flight. So I had to actually teach myself, um, you know, a different way. It, was, it wasn't it was rational, but my fear response 
chose the path that my brain automatically took. So what I had to do was kind of like this exposure therapy where you make yourself be around the fear and then you make yourself have a different response. So I've had to do that to the point where I don't have a fear of women really at all. I actually replaced that fear with what I call empowerment. That's good. Um, and it's, you know, I hear you say that and I know that you have done so much work and I know I've done so much work on myself too, but do you ever feel like, oh my gosh, it's so much work? It is. It really is a lot of work. I, I mean, I can't, oh my gosh, it takes so much energy and there's sometimes yes. where you get done with some of these things and you just feel like you've run a marathon. Now, last week you talked about how the mouse triggered you into your trauma, your past trauma, and your brain automatically went there. It was crazy because it caught it caught me by surprise. I mean, I hadn't thought about this childhood trauma since I was a child, you know, and the flight or fight response instantly kicked in when I saw the mouse in my house with my own eyes. Mm. My brain perceived that mouse as an intruder, which then triggered the trauma response from when I was a young girl, when I was terrified of the dark, terrified of someone breaking into our home terrified of someone hurting my family. Um, looking back, being a few months out now from this recent mouse mice incident, <laughs> yeah, I can see the ways in which I thought like a child and thought irrationally. Now, in those long 31 days and nights, there was no way that I could do anything different during that time or think anything different than what that scared young girl version of myself knew how to cope. But that traumatic incident did lead me to trauma therapy where I am now to begin learning to say thank you and goodbye to the coping mechanisms of the young scared me and an introduction, if you will, a hello to some new adult thought and coping patterns. And I can tell you it's, it's hard and it's different to learn something new or to try to get on board with it. You know, I can't believe how much effort it takes to do this. And it is something that you have to consciously say, you know what? I yes. want to be different. I want to think different. I want my feelings to be different, my actions to be different, because how I'm, this is just consuming me in so much in a negative way that I want to uh, consciously make an effort, which, like I said earlier, can be um, <laughs> draining. Uh, yes, absolutely. I the, the older I get and the more that I work on things and I don't know, just go through life. I feel like if someone were to ask me, what is the secret to life? I would say balance. Okay. Honestly. Yeah. Because too much self-help or too much this or not enough that. Do you know what I mean? I just, I really think it's balance. I'm kind of reaching a point where I'm gathering all this information for helping myself and I'm kind of just, I need a little break, you know, to just enjoy me and not have to constantly, constantly be working on this new thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry that you have to go through that. I think at first when you are 
you know, carving a new path or whatever, or trying a new, you know, anything new, even if it is in a mental health realm, I think that it does take more effort and it is more time consuming. But for the most part, I mean, I can remember years ago when I first started my journey on this, um, it, it did take a lot of my effort. Now, normally now, I mean, I think I have a pretty good balance um, between my family and enjoyment and working on things. Um, Cause most of the time I'm just into loving on my family and just really enjoying life. So I don't have to work on things as much. Now I'm not going to say that I don't have those loops come up every now and then, or I don't have things that I are revealed to me that I need to work on now because that does happen. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for a lot of the time now, I mean, I do really feel that I have that balance that I didn't have before, but you know, sometimes it's needed for you to work on it more until you can create that balance. Um, For instance, I can do a hundred things right and one thing wrong, but what am I going to focus on? Yep. That one thing that I do wrong. Oh, that's so me too. And it's a very frustrating part. And I think that's part of my IFS therapy, the internal family systems, which I'm actually still struggling to wrap my head around to sit with the thought and to figure out what it's trying to tell me. And then talking sense into anything irrational it's uh, it is definitely not natural to me, and it's something that my therapist and I we we talk about, and she tells me it doesn't have to, you know, come natural. You just have to do it. And I'm thinking, but my brain has to be on board for me to believe it. So I'm in a little bit of a mm-hmm. struggle there, and I think because it's hard, and because it's new, and because it's the opposite of what I would do is why I'm fighting it. And and I was just thinking about that exact thing about. Why do I always focus on the one thing that is wrong instead of all the things that are right just this past week? And it's something I wanted to ask my therapist about some advice on is how do you stop that? How do you stop focusing on the one bad thing? Because I turn to gratitude for a lot of things and it really does help. Um, But I'd love to break that, that pattern. Yeah. I had some things happen this week where I can tell you, a ton of things went right, but all I could think of were the couple things that went wrong. I actually had to, and I have to talk to myself and make myself think differently because I found that my thoughts affected my feelings. So then I automatically start feeling negative about myself to the point that I can have myself feeling like I don't deserve anything good. And then it starts affecting my actions, which can lead me to shutting down a lot of times. And I really, you know, I'm, I used to be that person where I would shut down all the time and I'm not doing it as much anymore because successfully, you know, I have worked to the point where I have a lot of a hold on this, but there's times where it does still take me over. It's not as much but I can still get there. I shut down to, I'm a runner. My, my initial instinct from anything hard is I just want to run. I just want to get away from it. I don't, I don't do that, but that really is my first, my first instinct. And I know what you're talking about, about not feeling, you know, good enough or the negative thoughts taking over. That is that lovely inner critic 
that I really do think we all have to some degree. Mine is very, very loud. I have a very loud inner critic and I am trying to learn Mm. how to quiet it and how to have some self-compassion because I was asked, what does self-compassion look like to me? First, Mm -hmm. I was asked, what does it look like when you give compassion to other people? And that was easy. And then the question came, what does self-compassion look like? And I mean, I didn't have an answer. And honestly, I don't have much of one except I would just say grace right now. Grace with whatever I'm going through, I have to tell myself it will be okay or it's okay that you feel this way. It's not going to last you know, the quote that we had from our first episode, the best days and the worst days only last 24 hours. And just talking nicer to myself, pretending that I am, say, someone else, a friend that I would be talking to and how I would handle it with them. That's how I need to be with me. And that's how you need to be with you as well. If you have that loud inner critic, compassion and love, I think is the antidote. I don't know why we talk to ourselves so negatively because I would not talk to somebody else the way I talk to myself. I know. I, just, I don't even know how it starts. I, I don't. I actually said to myself this week over something that happened that was a complete accident. I said, I'm never forgiving myself for that. And it's just like, what? Mm-hmm. Why would I even say that to myself? I, I, and it was just a, like a self reaction on the inside. And then I don't know, it makes me wonder if somebody said those words to me at some point, and it's just something that I'll, I said, to right. myself. I don't know. I, and I, I, normally, too. I normally don't say that to myself, but I do find myself pretty saying things to myself that I would not like if somebody said to me, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so we've touched on cognitive behavioral therapy, but one of the things they do is write down your thoughts and then write down a new thought. So like if you have the irrational thought, write that down and then write down a new thought to kind of replace that thought to so you can identify the irrational thought and start trying to think it think it through differently. I like that. I definitely should do that. I don't always feel I have the time to write things down. I know I should because I would see probably more growth than what I feel. Sometimes I don't even feel like I have enough time to stop and think long enough with Mm -hmm. all my kids and, you know, responsibilities of mom and adult and worker, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So in my IFS therapy, my homework has been the past few weeks to determine my thinking patterns. Is my mindset fatalistic? fixed or growth. So fatalistic believes things are your fault. Nothing will change. It is predetermined. Fixed mindset believes you're always right and your mind can't be changed. Growth mindset is the goal where you thrive on challenge and you know with time and effort that we can improve or things can improve. So for example, let's say a teacher asks a question in class. The fixed mindset says, I know the answer, but I'm too nervous to speak up. The growth mindset would say, it's intimidating to speak up in class, but I'm going to push myself outside of my comfort zone and answer. So if you're curious, well, where do you fall, Tina? The truth is, I'm probably a third of each one of these. Okay. So I'm just being honest. And I'm okay with that because I... I if. 
I do think I'm maybe a little more slanted towards the growth mindset over the fatalistic. You know, I don't know that I'm a third fatalistic thinker, um, but I definitely have some fixed mindsets. I do have a couple of fatalistic beliefs, but I do think I do think I have a good growth mindset and one in the process. Okay. You know, I have more thoughts that are going toward growth mindset. I, I am trying, I'm trying very hard to reframe some of the things I think. You know, it's hard though. I think when the way I grew up, things were made to make me feel as if everything was my fault. So mm. I think that I'm, that's something that I really had to overcome. Um, I owned everything that was going on in the room when the adults weren't, you know, I just, I don't know why I carried all of it and it wasn't yours to carry. Yeah. And I still find myself at times going back to that. Um, but I would say I live most of the time in the growth mindset. I, I, I hope that I do because I'm always willing to try to um, learn and grow and be willing to try to push past my comfort zone. Um, we, when I worked at a school with kids with autism, one of our things, because I'm autistic, and one of the things is we like to kind of live in a box. And so we like to do the same things the same way. We like everything in our day to be the same. And so one of the things is to always try to push one little step even if it's just one past your comfort zone. So you're always growing. I like so that. I'm going to consciously try to stay in the growth mindset. And even if it's in this kind of a, a loop, I'm just going to try to um, grow and go from there instead of try to stay in the fatalistic loop. Yeah. Get out of that fatalistic loop. I, my counselor says that's the worst, you know, that's just, that, that's the hardest one, the worst one to, to be predominantly in. So I'm glad you're not there anymore for the most part and growth, growth, growth is what we're looking for. And, you know, we talk about just the over and over in our head. Those are called OCD thought patterns. They can drive me nuts. I literally drive myself nuts sometimes. It is so very frustrating. So I'm looking very forward to breaking that habit. Another way to thought stop. See, I love the the phrase thought stopping because so I. You, you get your point. You get yourself to the point where you can actually, that's what I was doing when I was saying Jesus or when I was trying, you know, it's just you're consciously, purposefully trying to stop your thought. And I want to create a completely different scenario. So then my feelings are more empowered and my actions will follow. And I love, love, love this advice. I love the term thought stop. Never heard it like that. And I want to do this and I need to do this, but, and there it is the big butt, <laughs> making myself actually do it seems like a chore. Well, it's scary how controlling our thoughts can be and how much power they have over really our entire day. And our thoughts take us in the direction we go with every single reaction to what someone does, to our own reactions and thoughts we have about ourselves. It can take us on the path where we are completely defeated 
or empowered. It's more than our perception because despite what is real, even to ourselves, we can go to irrational with the slightest negative thought, regardless if our environment is good or bad. So one of the reasons I have gotten where I am reminds me of a quote that I heard from Viola Davis's book that I'm listening to right now. And I'll tell you what, I am listening to this book, Finding Me, like I said, by Viola Davis, and I am just taking notes and taking notes. And that's why I listen to other people's podcasts. And I listen to audible books and things like that, because it just hits me sometimes in a therapeutic way, and then writing it down. So this is one of the things that she said in the book, my dreams are bigger than my fears. Mm. You know what? That just wants, I just want to cry saying that. My dreams, my because she went through so much abuse, horrific abuse, and then you know, at the end of all these horrific things that she said to be one of the best actresses that she is today, she got there because she said it was because my dreams are bigger than my fears, and I just I think that that defines who I am, Tina. I really do because I think so too. If I would have let myself stay where I was, I would not, I I just wouldn't be here. I've had a very successful life in spite of the things that happened. So being, being brave is not the absence of fear, but finding a way through it, even if it is one small step at a time, or maybe just a breath or just the slightest movement, anything to move forward. You are so right about that. Well, thank you all for listening. I know that this has been kind of deep, um, but, you know, that's what we're doing here at Real Talk. And next time we will talk about feeling worthy enough to accept the good and uh, change our thinking patterns. This has been Real Talk with Tina and Ann. 